Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. I mean, my motivation for this is like kind of like. Um, do we, do we want to start where we talked about where like how this one just like hits us harder because it's fucking devastating and then run through stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure Ready. Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles Podcast Post Game Edition. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. On the show, and boy, guys, um, pretty devastating loss for the Oregon Ducks, who will be number three for only a few more hours after listening to this podcast. They will fall hard, I think, I personally think, in the top 25 rankings because they lose 31-24 in overtime to a 2-2 and Stanford team. Ducks are now... Four and one on the season. They are not first place in the Pac-12 North. They do not control their own destiny in the Pac-12 North. And this is a loss that is going to be pretty hard to get over. I think for the fan base, for the players, and you know, we don't we're, we're impartial. Um, but I think even for us, it's kind of like what was possible is now no longer possible or almost impossible and it's very hard it's about how it happened it's hard to take it in part because how did this how did we get there i mean it, it, honestly for those it's like oregon had like they had a stranglehold in the game you know and uh and they didn't win I mean, honestly, I, this is we're recording this at like nine o'clock and we're several hours from the conclusion of the game, and I'm still kind of in disbelief. Of like, I thought we would be recording a podcast talking about how Travis Dye was nails at the end of a game and the defense shut down Stanford for like two and a half quarters and it wasn't perfect, but they won. They're undefeated. They go into a bye week. They can recover and it was a gritty win and it's like, not a program defining win, but it's like a win that you can be like, okay, it wasn't pretty, but they did it. Instead, we're recording a podcast disgusting. I said disgusting, but that's probably actually a pretty good uh, you know slip of the tongue there. Uh, disgusting. A disgusting way to lose a football game, man. I don't know. Um, Oregon shot themselves in the foot a lot. We'll talk about that. The, the officiating. I mean, I don't even, even want to. The officiating. Do we want to get into the, that? the fourth quarter. This is my take, and if you've read my stuff on DuckTerritory.com, um, you know where this is going. But if you haven't, I'll summarize what I wrote in my column: is that. That last drive that Stanford had in regulation, the officiating was absolutely atrocious. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think KT's targeting call, which he will now miss the first half of the Cal game, was actually targeting. I think Brandon Dorless's targeting call on was roughing, roughing, the the, roughing the passer yeah. uh, was a very, very weak roughing the passer call on the officials. I think... Um, the pass interference call. It was a holding, actually. But yeah, a holding so. call on on um, one of uh, what was it? Michael right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was really bad. What was mm-hmm. non-existent in that one? Um, I, I there was even a fourth one. I couldn't fit 
into a tweet. It was the fourth one was the phantom false start. Yes, where the umpire or the referee, excuse me, took the flag out of his pocket, and almost just, launched it, and just held on to it the rest of the play. So everybody on Stanford's offensive line and most of Oregon's defensive linemen were like, "Oh, this play's dead," and then no whistle was called, and it resulted in a first down for Stanford. And I that was all atrocious. And if I'm Oregon, I'm calling Klivkoff, the commissioner. I'm calling Merton Hanks, the, the, the person in charge of running Pac-12 football. Yep. I'm calling the officiating, the head official for the Pac-12, and I am filing a complaint. This is bullshit. This is awful. Yes, I just swore. Um, I, it was bullshit. Yeah, and I, I am filing a complaint. <laughs> but that is not why, in my opinion, this team lost. They lost because on the drive, their final drive of regulation – they had the ball at the Stanford 39, first and 10. They had back-to-back false starts. Pre-snap penalties. That's 100% on the player. With no crowd noise. With crowd noise. With No, with like no yeah, crowd with noise. With no crowd noise. <laughs> and that forced Oregon into a first and 20. On first down, they ran the ball by Byron Cardwell. He got like two or three yards. And then they threw the football with like two minutes and change to go. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Brown was horrible all game. And highly inaccurate, highly inconsistent in this game. And they asked him to make probably the biggest play call of the game. They asked him to make a play, throwing the football. When the correct coaching move was to run the ball, make Stanford call a timeout, run the ball again on third down, make Stanford call a timeout. And you basically punt and you say, okay, Stanford, you've got – 80 seconds to drive the length of the football field, you have no timeouts. And they didn't. That's one coaching error. And then how many first downs? They had a second and like 19 mm-hmm. uh, on inside Stanford's 30-yard line. Uh, and they gave up an easy first down. They gave up two straight 13-yard passes that were on the money, easy, easy throws for Tanner McKee. Oregon never should have been in the position to allow the officials – to make such horrendous calls and give them the opportunity to tie this game. I'll, I'll um, 100% agreement. I'll credit um, Andrew Halbner from KZI just because I saw him make this point, and it's, I think it's true. Um, Oregon lost this game because they couldn't execute, and Oregon also lost this game afterwards because the officials gave... Yes. You know what I mean? So, like, they, those don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can both be true. Poor clock management from Oregon, poor decision-making... I think from the quarterback there um, for Anthony of like, don't throw the ball if it's not going to be completed. Honestly, taking a sack or just falling down or wasting as much time, you know what I mean? Anything besides clocking the ball and and saving a Stanford timeout is better. Um, But as we've established, once Stanford got the ball, all hell broke loose. And it was honestly, for those listening, some of you might have watched a lot more football games than I have. I don't even think it specifically has to be Oregon. I can't think of a more perplexing, bizarre end-of-a-game sequence from an officiating perspective where they just took all of the wind out of Oregon's sails and honestly took the ability for Oregon to win the game away from them, I thought. I mean, Oregon Oregon made some good plays on that drive that just didn't matter, and then they made some, and then, you know, they made some bad plays. They got stuck in a coverage that wasn't great in the middle of the field, and there were two consecutive passes on slant routes from Tanner McKee that went for big first downs um, that set up the touchdown. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff from Oregon that's not great there, but there's four really big decisions made by the officiating crew that led to 
Stanford scoring a touchdown on untimed down, yeah. which is just a debilitating way to go to overtime. And I think I made this point on Twitter. Probably the three most or three of the most agonizing defeats of the last decade have been by Stanford, and they've mm-hmm. all kind of fin- followed a similar script. Oregon is ahead in control late in the game. Um, and the games I'm referring to be 2018 at Otson, and also, I think that was, what is it, 2012? Was that the Zach Ertz play, or was that 13? Uh, that was 2012. Okay. Those two th- sort of similarities in these things where it's like, Oregon should win these football games. They make mistakes. Stanford, Max, you know, does everything, like, you know, there's no margin of error for Stanford, and they do everything right, and they end up winning. And that's what happened again here, because... They had to win the game on an untimed down that after a bunch of Oregon penalties. You go back to 18, Oregon fumbles the ball with C.J. Verdell. They kick the field goal. They win in overtime. You go back. I mean, these are just agonizing defeats. The 2012 game against Zach Ertz, you think about De'Anthony Thomas missing a block. It's probably one of the more infamous plays mm-hmm. in Oregon's you know, history. They don't score on that drive. Zach Ertz ends up winning. In, and again, I think that's a questionable call, too. So this is just... This just feels like a continuation of a bad dream of facing Stanford in these situations where it's like you're in position to win. You don't land a knockout punch. Oregon has an, had multiple opportunities in the fourth quarter to land a knockout punch. And they didn't. And they have to take responsibility for that. And as we've said, the officiating was atrocious. It was really, really bad. Oregon should have probably still won this game despite not landing a knockout punch, if we're honest. Yes. But they had every opportunity to do that, and they didn't. Yeah, I mean, they had every every little opportunity to do so. Uh, I think it all, obviously it all fell apart on that second down attempt from Anthony Brown. Yeah. Um, every, I mean, in that instance, it's... In the moment, we didn't really think much of it, though, did we? No. I mean, I it was think, like, what, this is like, this is kind of poor. Yeah, this is smart. Anthony but... Brown didn't make another, another pass. Where it's like, oh, that could have been a completion, but okay, whatever. But yeah, I mean, you look back on it and... That play itself puts Stanford in the position to win the football game, which about, I don't know, probably halfway through the fourth quarter, that just didn't seem like uh, it, it, didn't it, it didn't seem like it was possible. And even Oregon on that drive, Oregon decided to take the ball out of Anthony Brown's hand for the last quarter and a half of the football game, and it did Oregon wonders. I mean, Anthony Brown did have a touchdown pass to Micah Pittman for 60, or not a touchdown, but all the way down to inside yeah. the 10-yard line to Micah Pittman for 66 yards. But other than that, yeah, and, and Eric is showing me a nice stat here where it says Stanford had a .1% chance to beat Oregon with 151 left in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly how it felt that's, yeah, watching yeah. that game. Yeah. It felt that's impossible. That's from ESPN Stats and Info to give credit. And it, and it happened. They, a they, 0.1%, 0.1% chance. chance. Do you guys know how ridiculous that is? Yeah. So, one, less than a percentage point, and they lost. So Stanford, <laughs> Stanford went 12 plays, 75 yards, and scored a touchdown with eight minutes and two seconds left in the second quarter. That put them up 17-7. to mm-hmm. And after that, these are the drives that Stanford had offensively. This is the ridiculous part. Three plays, two yards, punt. <laughs> Two plays, five yards, end of half. Three plays, negative ten yards, punt. Three plays, five yards, punt. Seven plays, 14 yards, punt. Three plays, zero yards, punt. And on the flip side of that, Oregon went 13 plays, 80 yards, and they got stuffed on an absolutely horrific, colossal 
decision by Anthony Brown to <laughs> keep the football instead yeah. of pitching it outside to C.J. Friedel for a touchdown. Oregon had a three and out to start the third quarter. Then they went eight plays, 48 yards, and a touchdown. 12 plays, 34 yards, and a field goal. Five plays, 80 yards for a touchdown. And then they had the ball, like I was mentioning at the very end. This was their last possession of regulation. They were going 12 plays, 31 yards. They chewed up five and a half minutes of game time before they ended up punting the football. This game should have been a game that Oregon just grounded Stanford to death at the very end, and you walk away with a 10-point victory, and everyone looks at the margin and goes, who didn't watch the game, and go, huh, Stanford was an 8-point underdog, they lost by 11, or they lost by 10. Yeah, 10. Oregon, Oregon did their job, solid win, you move on, you're, you're 5-0, and here we go. And that's where it was going, and then they just fell apart and they choked. You run through all that, and you, I think you recognize that Oregon is a couple of plays on that last drive. What, one play, really. Just one play on the last drive if they don't score a touchdown from this being maybe the best half of football they've played all season. Yes. You know, and I, I, there's Ohio State games. I'm sure we can – I mean, I'm, we're it's in the close. moment right now. It's probably close. Ohio State's obviously a better opponent, and, that, and Oregon had to play really well there. But you run through what Oregon did to start that second half. And, and especially defensively. Dominated that second half. And even offensively, you run through the drive chart. You ran through it. was one three and out and everything else. They just did whatever they wanted up and down the field. Mm-hmm. They ran the ball. And, and, and just another point here. We talk about, I mean, obviously, small margin here. So you, every play feels massive. Oregon also had the ball first and goal from the three-yard line. End up kicking a field goal. In part because of a Jalen Red blindside block penalty that moves it back 15 yards. Yes. And it ends up being the Camden Lewis field. But if they end up punching that in there from three yards out, Stanford has no there's a there's zero, no chance. The ESPN stats and info thing is zero point zero percent chance because they have to make up a fourteen point margin. I think that's so. why it's so <laughs> frustrating of the play of Anthony Brown and that decision is, and because there are there are, and, th- and this is very nitpicky because you could do this for a lot of different situations in this game, but everyone's complaining about oh those. The, that fourth quarter drive by Stanford, that screwed Oregon. The refs cost them the game, yada, yada, yada. And that Anthony Brown non-pitch in the first half with just 30 seconds to go in, in, in the half or whatever. Something like that. That decision by him to, to not make the correct read and to keep it, which almost seems predetermined. You can literally point to that as one of the handful of plays that could have that, that should have gone Oregon's way that gets them to win because you, all three of us are in agreement. We were talking about this on the way home from the game. That going forward on fourth down was the correct call. Yeah, I liked 100%. it. We were, we're all that for it. Option, but even if they went ultra conservative, we would have roasted Mario Cristobal. We would have, in, in that moment. In that moment, <laughs> we would have roasted him without a doubt. We would have said he's too conservative. He's not playing, you know, good. He's not coaching good football, whatever. And, and it could have been justified. But even if they went super conservative and kicked a field goal, they would have won the game. Mm-hmm. And I think to transition, it's a little unfair to say that, but to transition off of that, I think we need to talk about Anthony Brown. You do. Because this is a game, I think, hearing the fan base talk about, and it always happens after a loss or a win, mm-hmm. but this is as vocal as the Oregon fan base has been, and this feels as vocal as the group that covers this team from a media perspective, that maybe they need to look at another option because he was really bad. And to quote Anthony Brown himself, when he was asked his very first question uh, with the media, he said, excuse my language, but I played like shit. And there's no way to defend that. 
because he did. He he played awful, and I, I don't want to pin a loss or a win on one player in the sport of football because the reality is it's not that way. But at quarterback, if you don't have someone that can consistently play at a good level, it's going to severely limit what everybody else on the offensive side of the ball can do. Mm-hmm. And we finally saw that happen today. His poor execution severely limited what everyone else on offense could or could not do. Um, I, I think we've been seeing it for a couple of weeks now. And it's finally like cost Oregon's, them. It well, finally cost them. The point I was about, to, I'm kind of processing this, and not that this is, there's no silver lining here, but a loss provides you more often an opportunity to make a change. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been sure. pretty clear for a while yeah. that like it's it should be at least in the discussion. And, and I think we've been kind of ca- cautious to say, they're 4-0. They beat Ohio State. Anthony Brown's a veteran quarterback. This is what we've been saying, right? Yes. Yeah. We've been kind of making excuses for Anthony to a certain extent. We've been critical of his play because he needs to, it's been warranted. But always come to the conclusion of, okay, but still, he's a veteran. Ty's 18 years old. Um, he's only had, like, what, 13 pass completions. He looked good, mm-hmm. you know, in the second half of one game. He didn't have a lot. He didn't complete any passes against Arizona. It, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's not his time yet. They're trying to play for bigger things. Things have sort of shifted here, and I don't. The cultural playoff thing is not completely out of the realm. Possibly, they can still get in. They have to run the table. They have to win out, and then things probably they have, have to look damn good. And, th- and things have to break right, right too. There's, they, there's a button. Cincinnati winning today doesn't help, and a couple of other teams having some success, like Iowa being as good as they look, doesn't help um, because that's going to be another Big Ten team along with Ohio State who looks better that'll make a run. But my point is like. Is this the point of the season where you can really look at making a change? Because you're going to a bye week, you come off the bye, you play Cal. To me, that's an opportune time if you're going to make a change to make it as any. Now, I don't. I actually don't expect that they will make a change. I don't know if that's the right choice. Probably, for my money, it wouldn't be. I'm not the one making these decisions. Um, but this offense has been handcuffed by their quarterback play the whole season. We've seen evidence of it for week after week. I tweeted this out at halftime. I said, if this is taking anybody by surprise... Honestly, like, shame on you, because that means you haven't been paying attention. There's been a lot of people who've, you know, and I understand it. When Oregon's undefeated and ranked third in the country, you want to stand by this team and, and each aspect of it being, you know, strong. But there have been clear warning signs to anybody who really wanted to pay attention for a while. Yes. And this was the first time where it really bit them. And again, it's, as Matt said, it's not fair to put this all on Anthony Brown's shoulders, right? We've run through a lot of the other circumstances that took place. Anthony Brown himself played a decent second half. It was an awful, awful first half. A really, really bad first half. Second half, he was like a 6 out of 10 after a 3 out of 10 first half, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to like give him some credit for making some decent plays in the second half. He had a couple decent reads. Wasn't great. But at the end of the day, you you can't with like let's put it this way who in the fan base is in the Anthony Brown corner right now like who, how many like what percentage of the fan base is like I want him to be the quarterback and not that that should be instructive for making any decisions for the head coach because right. that's that's Christopher I said like with the Camden Lewis situation of like sometimes you have to trust your eyes and make the tough decisions mm-hmm. listen to yourself coach like seriously Mario listen to yourself make the tough decision like look at the circumstances be honest with what you've seen is this good enough it's not it isn't so. Um, I don't know if they'll make the change. I, I hope they do, because I think ultimately that's probably the best case for certainly the long term. And I'm starting to think the short term. This, Anthony Brown's play has been a handicap to Oregon the last couple of weeks. 
No, the whole season though. I mean, the whole. I mean, he had a, He did have a great game against Ohio State. I would not it, take that. Take that. It was very good. It was very good. He did a lot more with his legs, and maybe it's because he's not 100 percent healthy right now that he's not as good as he could. He still be. had two rushing touchdowns. Still had two rushing touchdowns. However, if you rewatch these games and you begin to look at where the mistakes come from. And when you watch them live, I see a lot of this where it's like, what is this play calling and things like that. Well, part of the reason maybe the play calling is suspect is because they're only limited to a certain percentage of the playbook. And I'd argue this playbook, that they're not suspect play calling. The play call is great today, for the most part. <laughs> the play calling has been good. If you go and rewatch these games, you will understand, and you slow it down, you pause it, you watch everything that goes on. You will understand that there are many moments during an Oregon drive, even at the beginning of it, where Anthony Brown makes the wrong read. And he scored a touchdown on a run on that a should have gone to the running back, and he ran where the running back was supposed to go. Right. Where I, if he just gave him the ball I mean, to the running back, it would have We're been really playing. splitting hairs there. I mean, it's, he scores, but yeah. He still scores. Just, he scores on a play that should have gone to the running back. Anyways. Well, I mean, it works regardless, so I mean, I'm cool with that. He just got lucky. Okay. We're just, I mean, the, the, the plays where Brown makes the read and it doesn't work are what's really hindering Oregon's potential as an offense. And it happens far too often. Yep. I, I go through every week on my machinations column and I go through just a few examples, just the most egregious ones, which usually comes out to be anywhere from three to five plays that could have resulted in a big play, could have resulted in a touchdown, could have resulted in a, a necessary first down or a drive start or whatever the case may be. And you can look at a couple examples from just today's game where you have to like really question just the decision-making process that goes through with Brown. He is clearly a very liked person on the Oregon football team. Yeah, People respect him. Uh, he's, he's, he can be good. It's just there are points where you wonder how good is he. I don't, how, know. I don't think I'm, I'm not left wondering right now. I'm pretty confident about his capabilities. Well... It's, I mean, to be it, honest. I think, okay, so the question maybe is, how much better is Brown than all the other guys? Right. Because and you're kind of left we're wondering. not sure, <laughs> because we haven't seen any of the other players other than Ty Thompson for a very brief period of time, and Jay Butterfield. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I think Oregon is in that position where they haven't seen playing time from their backups Partially because of Anthony Brown's play as a quarterback that they can't <laughs> score enough points to get to that point in the game. So here we are. We have Anthony Brown today was 14-26 for 186 yards, no touchdowns, and his first pick of the year, which was... Not a good one. <laughs> Not a good one. And he should have thrown another one, too. In, in kind of the same situation. Same coverage. He threw an interception to the outside on a uh, like an outside linebacker who dropped into coverage, which he did not read. Yeah, didn't see him. Happens. I get it. Almost happened again. Not a good thing. Not a good learning curve development there. So this, there should. This by the way, I'm just be, kind of just to cut you off. Yeah, 100%. then you can go back. Uh, there shouldn't be any learning curve for a six-year starting quarterback either. And that is, this is who he is. Yes. Like, we, I don't think you can expect any growth potential. Like when you're 24 years old playing college football, you you kind of are what you are. Go ahead. Sorry. That's the point I was getting into. Is that this is? You can't expect him to to learn on the fly. Like. Because if that's already in his system, then that's probably going to be how it is. We're, we're not waiting for that light to go on. Like, no. that cliche comment of, like, hey, things just clicked, and now all of a sudden right. he's playing at a higher and level. Like, it's this is who he is, is for the last six years. He is a 
55% completion percentage quarterback yes. in his in his career. Yes. And he is someone that's not going to average a lot of yards per attempt. His completions per attempt will, will be a little bit higher, and he's not a threat to throw the football down the field. I mean, Oregon had one play in this game in passing plays of 15 or more yards. One play. It was Anthony Brown's 66 yards. Tanner McKee had six. Mm-hmm. And to, to, to make the point is that that Micah Pittman play was like a five-yard reception. A yeah. broken about, he broke it. I think it was about ten, but yeah, it wasn't yeah, right so far down the field. It was an underneath the, underneath the zone or man coverage right. throw. It was man. And Pittman made tackle, a move, but broke a tackle. The and, and there was just no one around him. Right. And, and he was able to get a downfield block by Devin Williams that sprung him for probably about 15 or 20 more yards. Right. And it... Yes, so you were right. It was 100% a play where the ball probably was in the air for 15 or 10 yards, and 50 of that came after the catch. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get rewarded for the 66. And it feels like we're being very critical and very negative towards Anthony Brown. But <laughs> what else are we supposed to do? All three, of us have, all three of us have been very critical of this team on this podcast. And the last four weeks... And we have been told we're being too critical and too negative and too down. And this is why. Because we could see the signs that there were cracks. That, that there were clear indicators that if they played a good team, a team that was well coached, that had good talent, that this team, if they played bad, if they had a bad start to a game and, and, or went through a goal in a quarter and a half midway through the game where they were just horrible, they would get beat. And that's what's happened. They opened the door to a team that's good enough to have the talent and had a good enough coaching to do it, and that team took advantage of it. And I think we've actually been pretty fair with Anthony Brown too. I think so too. We we didn't. This is the first time all year we've like even suggested that they could make a change. We've been very clear of like they're not making a change against Arizona. Afterwards, it's probably the first time we were really like, "Ee, this isn't great. This is really not good." And kind of spent a lot of time talking about it and we even went into this week saying I don't think it's time to make a change after this game I think you need to revisit that and again they have a bye week there's time to make some decisions here and again I probably ultimately don't anticipate they actually make a change I think that might be a mistake you think about the schedule that plays out they play UCLA a week after Cal it's a pretty darn good football team and I don't know if Oregon can win that game with Anthony Brown at quarterback I, I, I agree with the idea of not making a change in this one like mid-game? Mid-game. Yeah, I agree. Because Joe Moorhead was not here. We haven't even talked about we that. we got a bunch of stuff we can talk about from oh, injuries okay. we need to revisit, too, before yes. we wrap this up. But keep going. Like, Joe Moorhead was sick. Something happened this morning. He, it's non-COVID. Something happened this morning from an illness standpoint that Joe Moorhead could physically not get to the, to the stadium. So he was not here to call plays. Mm-hmm. He was not here to provide coaching. He was not here to strategize with Cristobal. We don't know who was calling the plays. I assume it was Jim Mastro, the, think running, it, the running backs coach. I think so. He was not on the sideline. He typically is. He was up in the boot, upstairs. Three, Clear. three years ago, there was an issue with Orchestra Royal. Jim Mastro called the plays. Yeah. Big treason. Sorry. So I, I don't think a decision, if you're going to pull Anthony Brown, I don't think you do that without Joe Moorhead here. Because, right. hey, you get his input. Hey, like you're, you're his position coach. How do you feel like he, he'd handle getting benched? Is he like, do we have to just stick with Ty the rest of the way if we bench him? Or is he going to be cool enough to understand that it's just not your day, you're going to come back next week, you're going to be the guy, if we want to do that? And if you do make the change, what are you going to do when Ty Thompson comes out like they did in the first half against, uh, second half 
today, uh, let's say Ty Thompson is Anthony Brown. Mm-hmm. The offense goes three and out mm-hmm. like they did. Who goes to Ty Thompson and say, hey, settle down. Things right. are good. This is what you, you made a mistake here. This is what you need to do here. There, that coach is not on the sideline. The quarterback coach is not there. So I'm actually fine not making a change mid-game. Yeah, I was too. But I think you may the, – the, the next week, basically, is when this staff decides if – who's our quarterback? Is it Anthony Brown? If it is, he's the guy the rest of the way until the wheels fall off. And wheels fall off to me is eight and four, seven and five well, type of a the, season. The, like the wheels could the start falling. Well, they could be clear the wheels are totally off by in three or four weeks if they stick with Anthony right. Brown, too. Or if you make the change, he's he's not in it anymore. Because if you're going to, and this is where I land, if you're going to struggle at quarterback with a sixth year quarterback and the offense is going to be this inconsistent, I kind of would rather just struggle with a young guy that you're building up for next year. And you find ways to win games next year. Who, who, who are you more confident quarterbacking the team to a Pac-12 championship right now? Can I pass? Yeah, I don't, and, I don't, and, and, I don't feel like... And that's my answer, right? Because you, you should, if you think it's the sixth-year guy, you should be able to immediately say, Can I, can I watch the guy. scrimmage? <laughs> can, you can I get any can semblance access? of an idea of how good some of these guys are? Well, we saw we did see a Ty Thompson scrimmage in the fall where he was pretty good. That's, a, that's and he was pretty thing. good against he Stony was, Brook. He was he was very good against Stony Brook. A good half. He had like you know facing Stony Brook. Stony Brook and the second team offense in Oregon, which is better than anything Stony Brook's seen. It was part of partial first team still. Sure, but For parts of it. Sorry. Like to answer your question of like who do I trust? I don't like I I, I pass because a non-answer is an answer though. Yeah. To me, hundred percent. It, sh- it should be. Enough. It should be obvious. It should be at this stage of the, of the season. It should be Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown should have done enough to get this confidence in, in me or the fan base and the coaching staff. And maybe he does have it in the coaching staff. I but after the yeah. last three weeks, actually, let me exclude Stony Brook. Anthony Brown was very good in the first. Yeah, that was Stony his best Brook. game. The last two weeks, post Stony Brook, post injury that randomly happened at Stony Brook that we still don't know anything about. I don't. I don't know. Maybe he still has all the faith in the staff. Maybe Anthony Brown just doesn't play well against uh, East Coast teams. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe he only plays well against Stony Brook and Ohio State, and he plays West Coast teams and just goes to shit. It might happen. Who knows? It's it a total his, joke. I'm trying to find the East Coast correlation. Players. Right. Exactly. He wants to prove it back to his um, fan back home. I just. I, I just think at this point you owe it to yourself to at least open this up more and to really explore the option of what Ty Thompson looks like as the first-team quarterback, and at least at least try it in practice, see what it feels like. You get, you, I don't think there's anything to lose. 100%. Can I try to segue this into some of the information we got yep. this pregame? Don't ask, just do it. Do, do we think there's a reason that Robbie Ashford changed his number to number five? Or was told to change his number to number five? In terms of a quarterback competition? It could be a lot of things, though. I mean, right. I've been thinking about this. It could be there might have been a package they just never got to run where he was supposed to be in the game, right? And they mm-hmm. were just trying to find a way. Like, hey, this week we have a game script where we're going to use Robbie Ashford. Or it could be what you're suggesting, which is that maybe Robbie Ashford is pushing himself into the into the actual conversation. Because Ty Thompson was 13 at the start of the year. He changed his number to 17, 17. in order for him to be able to play. Mm-hmm. And now... Bob Ashford has changed his number from six to five mm-hmm. in order for him to be able to play. So kind of interesting. It is interesting. I don't necessarily think we should buy into it a lot or really think about it too much, but 
hypothetically, if he does come into a game, then that's probably because he hasn't yet. He's the only of the of the, the quote unquote freshman quarterbacks to not come into a game. So, and that's because he's been wearing that number six. Part of it, at least. Part of. It could be the whole reason probably isn't because there's obviously a workaround to just change the numbers if he is the you know what I mean like right. if he is in position. Right. 100%. Um, no, I think it's really interesting and I and I, again I, I we should, we I know we we probably don't want to talk Anthony Brown quarterback situation for the whole show because actually a lot of other stuff to get to somehow. Um, <laughs> but I will also say this like um, impressed with the way the offense rallied back, but I thought it was very telling in overtime how little confidence I had in yeah. to, to, to actually win the game. Once Stanford scores their touchdown, I was like, probably not going to win. And that's a really yes. bad place to be. And honestly, I think Oregon won the... I might be wrong. I thought Oregon won the toss and deferred to the second they part. Did. I would have taken the ball. I would have taken the ball. Just, let's just let's set the tone. Let's see what we can do. Because oh, I think over, you put, yes. yeah, because yes. I think you're putting pressure on Anthony Brown to go win a football game for you when he hasn't proven he can. So why not try to be the team setting the tone there? And if you and if and if you settle for okay, so so let me counter. So, yeah, let me counter. They chose to defer because they had more confidence in their defense to win them the game than they did Anthony Brown. Sure, I guess because hypothetically, if, if their defense forces a field goal, Oregon would be relatively confident with sending Brown out there. To score a touchdown, though? To score a field goal. To tie it? To tie it. Because he would have to really lose a lot of the yardages in order to not my, tie my, it. My, my point is, I think there's, to me, there was very little confidence they're scoring a touchdown, so yes. why not go out there and just, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're putting too much pressure on your defense, but I, I just think you put a lot of pressure on Anthony Brown by going, hey, you have to score a touchdown or we lose. Guess what? He couldn't score a touchdown they lost. No. And then that's a very nitpicky. My, we're looking at the minutia here, but that's again what we do when the games are so close. Um, is there much else from a game perspective, or do we want to talk injuries? I think we talk injuries. Okay. Mm-hmm. CJ Verdell, significant injury. Cristobal did not seem confident about. It's code typically significance code word for maybe season. Yes, like he was not willing to give us much. I think when and this is us speculating. Maybe this is a little unfair, but I think it's fair to say reading tea leaves type of stuff, when Crystal Ball is very short, brings up, like Eric said, significant injury, doesn't really provide much detail, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, 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 that goes in line with a lot of the other stuff. That's a That might also dictate what happens at quarterback. Because I, th- I think you could still argue, like, hey, Anthony Brown's a little bit of a running back, a, a little bit of a running, running quarterback. quarterback. Yeah. You've got C.J. Verdell, who's a really good runner. Travis Dye compliments him really well. A-plus Travis Dye game, by the way. Yes, A-plus Travis Dye game. You can lean on the run game and win football games 24-21, to 27-18 type of a stuff. And just ball control. But without C.J. Verdell at running back, things get really dicey. It's a good point. So yeah. we don't know. It doesn't sound good with him. We also know Bennett Williams had a freak injury, and usually when you hear a freak injury, that's also very bad. Well, he also said it was a bad injury. Yeah, like, he said it was. He said it was a significant injury. Obviously, there's the rumors that he broke his ankle. We don't know if that's 100 percent true, but the non-contact drill injury and on a, a walkthrough Friday practice. practice, and that's not, not that's never good. Bizarre. Never yes, good. that is not good. This team has been snake bitten by the injury bug. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau will not be available for the first half against California uh, mm-hmm. two weeks from now. And that rule is 
Bogus. Bogus. I mean, I think the play itself is bogus, but I think that rule is beyond stupid. Um, if, kick him out for the game if you want, but he shouldn't. Well, be, he shouldn't be back the rest of the way. I, 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 I don't know. But I just have a point that was made on the site that I thought was really good, and the, the post was from I think the Volve. Who, I, if you listen to the podcast, I think you make some good points from regularly. But um, this one I thought was was pretty good. Is the the term is called targeting, which means there's intention. I don't think you can argue there was any intention by Kayvon Thibodeau to hurt Tanner McKee because, A, that isn't strategic and makes no sense. Why would he ever open himself up to that situation? I don't even think he was overzealous on the play. And Jared made a good point afterwards. You go watch it. He kind of got pushed into, into Tanner McKee, and his hands were up like he was yeah. trying to defense the, you know, deflect a pass. And to your point, the fact that he's not available now against Cal sucks for the first half. Because he played pretty good. By the way, Jamal Hudlow, the team in tackles, replacing Bennett Williams, so that's not awful. Also, Alex Forsyth. Oh, yeah. Started dealing with the back, back spasms. spasms. That's not good. Um, Ryan Walk started at center in place of him. And look, I think played well. the offensive line was tremendous. I mean, yeah, we said this throughout the well. game on the site. We said this on social media. We said this to ourselves during the game. Nonstop, that Oregon should just be running the football every single time. And kind I think they kind of did. They ran the f- 54 run plays to 26 passes. In the third quarter, they kind of, they, midway through the quarter, it definitely felt like. They kind of figured out, yeah. oh, we need to run the football. Stanford is very bad at defending the run. We're really good at it. Let's keep doing it. Should have read Scopaldamas. They would have known. <laughs> Stanford, last of the Pac-12 in rushing yardage. I'm just kidding. I'm sure they're very aware of that. <laughs> but that's a big injury. We know that Mace Funa and Noah Sewell were both dealing with some kind of injuries. They ended up coming back in the game. Can we talk Sewell's about how Sewell's unreal? What the hell? Like, Yeah, I joked that they needed to do like a scientist, you know, mm-hmm. Study on Noah Sewell because he looks like he's dead, and then he needs one play to regenerate, like Wolverine, and he's back out on the field. How many times have we seen this though, where he goes down and is down for a while, and it looks semi-serious, and he comes back not just like in the game and shortly after, like a play later, two plays later, it's unreal. Well, he he did exactly that. He went down. It looked like he was grabbing his shoulder or something. Goes out, tries to come out the next play, and they take him out because you can't do that. You can't play the exact play after you come off the field with an injury. Then three plays later, he comes in and he picks up Tanner McKee, all six foot six of them, and throws him on the ground for a sack. Unbelievable. He's ridiculous. Um, I don't know if I said this in another podcast or if I just said it to you. This c- concerns me. This is like potentially like an inverse boy who cried wolf thing, where we just assume every time he goes down, he's fine, and then eventually, oh, no. he's actually not. Yeah. Not to be super negative, but just like I think we're at this point. My point, my point isn't that I think he'll get hurt. My point is like. At this point, he goes down, and I'm just kind of like, oh, he'll probably pop back, yeah, pop it, back up. Yeah, it is. It which is, is weird, because every other... is good. Any, anytime anybody else goes down, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I'm just going to keep using bad words. Ah, oh, shit, that's not good. But with Noah, it's like, no, he's probably going to be fine. He's all right. Yeah. He'll be okay. He'll be back out there. But this team is decimated by injury. And yeah. as, much as, as much as you want Oregon to come back next week and get a win... And, two, two weeks, you mean? And, no, next. Like, as much as you want a game next week so oh. that Oregon can come yep, out yep, yep, and get yep. a win sure. and wash this bad taste from its mouth and build its progress to finishing this year strong, this team needs a week so like, badly. They, they, they are, they are probably. If you're giving the Oregon coaches staff truth room, they are probably thanking their lucky football gods that they are playing California this week and they're not playing UCLA. Or they're not playing a Washington. Or shoot, they're not playing first place Oregon State. Like the Beavs are the Beavs the best team in the Pac-12 conference? And <laughs> I mean, based on results, yeah. yes. And 
I'll throw this out there and we'll wrap it up here. I think this Oregon team doesn't know who they are. Hmm. And I don't know, they don't know their identity offensively. Or they don't. They they know what works. We see what works, but they just don't want to stick with it. And I I think I walk away from this game, and my biggest takeaway, and this is what makes this loss so hard to swallow, is they are by far the most talented team in the conference from a talent perspective on paper. Mm-hmm. And yet, I don't think they get the best returns out of talent than other teams. Some of it's some of it really is injuries, though. <laughs> I'm talking strictly, probably offensively. Okay. I think the defense is good. I mean, they went. Yes. You, you you tell the defense, hey, we we need you to get stops. We need you and guys to give us a chance to come back and win yeah. this game. And there was one, two, three, four, five, six straight drives that Stanford did zero punts. Absolutely nothing, and mm-hmm. that that coincides with Oregon going touchdown, field goal, touchdown to take the lead. Yeah. So I think the defense, even with these injuries, is playing pretty good. I think they are getting probably injuries included into this scenario the best that they can get, or pretty close to. That's it. The, that's the point I wanted to make. Yeah, but keep out, out off, of, offense. I can I out can, of the yeah. talent that they have. I mean, they have no offense to Nate, but. He's a walk-on linebacker for a reason. He has a scholarship now. We he, should make sure we okay. note that. He's under scholarship. That's important. I mean, he blew up Aaron Jones in the backfield for what should have been a two-yard loss, and Aaron Jones just spun off it and got forward two yards and then still gained two more yards for a... Can we not beg on him too much? He had the best game of his career. Eight tackles. Okay. It was really okay. good today. But, I mean, and not, not really good. Sure. He made mistakes, but like I think it's he's not, sure. he's not the problem. He's not the reason. But, but, you're, but yeah, I, understand, I understand your point. But offensively, they are not getting even close to the production that they should be getting. And I I think that is a concern, whether that's play calling, whether that's players not executing correctly and coaches putting them in position to succeed, yeah. and the players just aren't doing it, or I think that's playing wrong players, not playing certain players enough. I think it's a combination of all of that. I just I think the offense... I would take Oregon State's offense over Oregon's. I would take UCLA's offense over Oregon's. I would probably take Arizona State, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how they're doing with UCLA right now, but that's well, pro- probably. Well, can I flip this back to you? How many quarterbacks in the Pac-12? Would you, and I think this is where the core issue with the offense is we talked about. How many quarterbacks in the Pac-12? I'd take Tanner McKee over Anthony Brown. I would take... Uh, can you name me the list D- of... DTR It's over, probably... It's a shorter list of guys list? that you don't want. Right. Uh, Utah's quarterback... Well, maybe not uh, anymore. Uh, Cameron Rising Cameron probably. Rising <laughs> I mean, Jordan McLeod. Clearly, you don't want yeah. you don't want Arizona Utah, situation. Arizona, um, Colorado for sure. Colorado for sure. Probably Washington State. Probably. Delor- I mean, honestly, healthy Delora. Jaden Delora is hurt though. Like, in- was he, did he? Play? I don't know if he played today, but yeah, I mean, I, I would take him over, and and then that's that's sort of the issue here, right? Yeah. Is like, I mean, not I mean, I, not to oversimplify because I think you're right. I think it's more nuanced. I think there is more than just you ran through the the the. The factors, and I think you're right. It's not we can't all put it on Anthony Brown. There are shortcomings across this team and this offense. Um, there were some there were some balls that were dropped early in the game. By the way, there were balls that hit players in the hands that could have been caught. I wouldn't drops maybe too strong of a word. Two or three tight end. There was a play where I think it was maybe a Terrence Ferguson. Ferguson yeah. had one up the scene and, off his hands. Johnny Johnson hit him. And Johnny Johnson had one off his hands. Both of which were catchable. They weren't perfect throws. Johnson's was catchable. Brown or uh, Ferguson's was just, just bad wasn't timing. Yeah, it was Brown let it go, and Ferguson didn't have his head turned. And I really hope the Oregon coaches 
Moorhead and Cristobal in particular, because those are the only coaches we get access to right. on Monday, do not come forward and say, well, Anthony Brown threw for 187 yards and... 186. But, Don't inflate those stats. Okay. 186, man. He had 186 yards. But he <laughs> also had that pass to Terrence Ferguson that Ferguson should have caught because he dropped it. He also had that pass to right. Johnny Johnson that he dropped that he should have got. So really, you know, you had those two miscues. You know, that wasn't on Anthony Brown. So you throw those in. He, he played okay. Because there were three or four plays that Anthony Brown should have gotten intercepted well, or turned the ball over and didn't. And it's the throw a golf analogy on here. Everyone always talks about, oh, man, if I would have made that one putt, I, I would have shot my lowest score. If I didn't double bogey on this hole, I would have gotten this. No one talks about, man, that 15-footer I made to save par was huge. Man, that thir- that chip out of the, uh, the bunker really saved me to get par here. That same thing happens to Anthony Brown like in the quarterback spot. You can come back and say, well, if these two or three things were caught by the receivers or tight ends, which isn't Anthony Brown's fault, his numbers would have been better. Because you can flip it and say, well, he should have had that interception to that defensive end. He had a really bad read on a touchdown play that he probably should have got tackled behind the line of scrimmage for. He had this play, he had that play that ended up being positive when it shouldn't have. There would be massive cognitive dissonance, though, if they come out and say are are overly positive about Anthony Brown after Anthony Brown's own self-evaluation immediately after the game was, I played like shit, it was my fault, I let the team down, I'm going to take the blame for it. That would be bizarre if Cristobal's like, no, he was pretty good. good. Uh, No, he wasn't good. Your quarterback told you he wasn't good. You're not trusting what your quarterback is saying? Was he lying? Like, was he covering up for somebody else? No, because there's no one else to cover up for. I mean, um, he kind of did that to that. Mario? Just yeah. a little. But Mario also spoke before Anthony did. Now that Anthony's yeah. quotes are out there, Anthony's own personal assessment is is, is available. Yeah. Anthony, or Mario really, I, from my perspective, and if he does, I think we have to push him on it. Um, like, I don't think he really has the opening to, to do that. And if he does, it's even more concerning because they talk about how they're really honest with themselves, right? And they talk about, and again, I made the point earlier about how you trust your eyes. If you're honest with yourself and you trust your eyes, Anthony Brown, unless Ty Thompson is way worse than we think he is and, and, and there's really no opportunity for him to go, I don't understand it. I think I think pretty clearly the, Anthony Brown can't be your best quarterback. Um, Tough. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of running out of steam here because of that one because it's just like I, I feel like we've said enough about Anthony Brown. It's just like at this point, I think everybody listening is like, yeah, I agree with you guys. He's not very good. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We will be back on Monday after we give a review of the show of the game and probably get an opportunity to talk with Mario Cristobal. We say probably because we're not sure there's going to be media availability on Monday because yeah. it's a bye week. That kind of changes the uh, the game plan a little bit for our coverage this week because of access to the team and whatnot. But nonetheless, we'll be back on the show later this week discussing Oregon Duck football. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? 
Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic. And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 